Hey everyone, my name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. Happy birthday, Brenna. I thought Reed was going to say that with me. <laughs> you gave I tried me to no really like signal what I was going to say. <laughs> that was really giving the like, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. <laughs> okay, one more time. <clears throat> Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Brenna. <laughs> I have never been made to feel more Charlie Brown than I am right now. This is a podcast where we talk about fan fiction. Each episode, each one of us typically brings a fic to discuss, and you're in luck because we've done it again, everybody. All of us brought fic. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Yay! We accomplished the basic premise of this show. <laughs> Great work. <laughs> and we did it to celebrate Brenna and her birthday, so she'll talk to us soon about the theme of this episode. Um, but first, I am going to tell you what fic I brought. My fic for this episode is You'll Never See the End of the Road While You're Traveling with Me by AO3 user Airwin, and it is for Critical Role Campaign 1. Very exciting. Um, There aren't really ships. No, there are not. It's Percy and Keyleth mostly, and then some background relationships. Very fun story. Excited to talk about it. Reed, what is your fic? The fic I brought is The Polyphonic Tides of Revolution by Diffractum. It is for the fandom Les Mis. It is a space AU, and the pairing is Angelos Grantaire. Brenna, what did you bring for your birthday? My fic for this week is We Must Unlearn the Constellations to See the Stars by Lace Cat. This is a fic for the TV show fandom Black Sails, and it's about Flint and Silver. Brenna, it's your birthday! It and is! your birthday episode! Woo! Yeah! I guess it's just your birthday episode, because we're not recording or releasing yeah. this on your birthday. But I'm claiming, like, the first half of this month sort of as my birthday. Nick, That's you can fair. have the second. Um, Thank you so much. Although I think we're going to do some, some combined birthday shenanigans as well, um, so yeah. there's an overlap <laughs> I like the idea of it being like a, like a sport where you're tagging each other in, like Brenna finishes yeah. her lap, whatever, in the relay race and hands the baton mm-hmm. off to Nick for the second half of the month. I remember I always struggled to do the relay handoff, so... Oh, oh no! <laughs> Make what you will of that. I found it really easy, but I ran the four by four, so you just kind of like hand it to the person. It's not like the four by one hundred where you're like, oh, doing yeah. it the fancy way. Mm-hmm. It was easier to be the person reaching out. It was hard to be the person with their hand behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Um. Anyway, yes, if this is my birthday episode, it is around the time of the year at which I was birthed, um, and came into being. Uh. Therefore, I get to choose what I want to talk about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know why that particular woohoo was so funny. It was a little Mario, <laughs> like Super Mario, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, buckle up, lads. Uh, I don't know what a better piratey saying is. Um, that was terrible. Is a piratey <laughs> saying? That no, was I, was, I, was, I was trying to think of a piratey saying. Oh, um, <laughs> <Okay>. our mateys, <laughs> ahoy! <laughs> <sighs> 
maybe we could clarify. Um, the past two years when we've done birthday episodes, the birthday host has brought um, three fan works that roughly equal under 100K. But this year we've switched. We've gone back to kind of what our first format was. Our first format, the birthday host picked a favorite trope. And this year we're doing theme. The birthday host gets to pick a theme. And that theme can be as detailed or maybe esoteric as you want it to be. And so Brenda's theme that she is going to transition into so perfectly <laughs> is pirates. Pirates. Yeah. Ahoy. Ahoy. What do I see out there? Pirates. <laughs> oh. <laughs> my little spyglass. <laughs> land ho. No. Oh. <laughs> We're not going to land. We're going out to sea with the pirates. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, waste your colors. <laughs> Hoist your flags. <laughs> oh god, it's the Union Jack. <laughs> no. Okay, okay. A lot of this is gonna get cut out, I fear, so yeah. let me get back on track. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> yes, for my birthday episode, I chose pirates. At first I was like, haha, what if I just made my theme pirates? And then I did, because for a few reasons i love pirates and also i couldn't think of anything better <laughs> sometimes when you've been doing this show for like four years you're like well let's just run with it actually also if you know me at all you will know that i love an opportunity to talk about the tv show black sails and i was like what better way to do that than to pick an episode where we just talk about pirates um in some past birthday episodes we've had like bits or quizzes or things like that um we don't this time it doesn't make my birthday any less special, and I mean that genuinely. That sounded sarcastic, but I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm just, like, a little bit let down. No, it's fine. Um, genuinely, what I would like to do is talk about pirates, and I think that's how we're going to kick things off here. Um, so before we get into the actual fix themselves, uh, we thought we might take you on a little journey through our own feelings about pirates, pirate media, our sort of histories with pirate media, the whole shebang. Um, Nick, would you like to kick us off here and talk a little bit about your relationship with pirates and fictional pirates or real pirates? Yes, this is going to be short and sweet, Ficklets, because I was never really a pirating lad throughout my youth. Um, I have consumed some pirate media. The most recent pirate related thing that I feel like I actually uh, did or referenced was when I went to a concert earlier this year. And Reed was also there, but sitting across the stadium. So we were texting each other during the concert. And two of our guys that we like did a thing. And I texted Reed, I'm walking the plank. <laughs> um, because that was just how I felt in that moment. <laughs> um, so that is pirate related, but the concert had nothing to do with pirates. Aside from that, I definitely read some piratey books when I was younger and enjoyed them. But very few come to mind when I actually think about it. And I don't watch a lot of television. Um, I've never seen Pirates of the Caribbean, which I think surprises people sometimes. Bren, you just made a shocked face. Did you miss when Nick said that in our pre-discussion? Because I made the shocked face yeah. Yeah, about an hour earlier. earlier. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I have not. Um, I don't know. It just wasn't what I was watching. <laughs> and that's okay. I did dress as a pirate for Halloween. Uh, a couple times in my life, actually. Once in high school, and I took a picture with my friend who later became my enemy in our matching pirate outfits. <laughs> Not related to the piracy. Um, it feels um, appropriate, though. Like, that feels on theme for your friend I think becoming so. your enemy. Yeah, we, we became arch nemeses, if you will. 
not just as pirates, but as people, unfortunately. I was saying, I hope she's doing well wherever she is, but like, I don't really care. <laughs> um, yeah, aside from that, I feel like my other touch point for piracy is just like pirating media, which I allegedly may have done in my youth. I may not have, in case anyone from the government is listening to this, but also I may have done so. And I may have done so very recently to watch Naked and Afraid because I was intrigued <laughs> and I had never seen it. So I watched an episode where two of these survivalists were in Alaska in the tundra and they had to survive and they like hunted a porcupine and stuff. It was wild. Um, anyway. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I don't actually know for sure. <laughs> Maybe I watched it legally. No, I don't even, I couldn't figure out where to watch. Okay, whatever. That's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's it for me. I had fun searching out um, pirate stuff because I feel like any pirate media that I have consumed has been kind of incidental. So like maybe there's a K-pop group that has a pirating theme and I see it in their music videos or there is an actual <laughs> maybe play show. There's maybe there's a K-pop group. Huh? Maybe. Who could I wonder say? who that could be. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe there's a actual play D and D show where they have a whole pirating arc, but then you like stop watching and you got distracted, and then you're like, "Who is Essek? Why is everyone writing fic about Essek? For the love of God!" <laughs> um, anyway, thank you. That's my pirate history. <laughs> Read. Thank you. That's really a journey you've just taken us on. <laughs> yes. The concert comment did remind me that I did a couple months ago see a K-pop group that is not the one that's known for being pirates, um, but it is a girl group that does have a song pirate that absolutely slaps so that was fun when we were talking about what to do for this intro my proposed bit was what pirate media or what influential pirate media of your youth made you gay and nick was like this is not applicable to me but also it's probably good we didn't go with that because brenna and i have the same answer and it's yeah. elizabeth's one <laughs> right <laughs> it's kind of a well, gimme unlike nick i have seen parts of the caribbean many 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 times it's probably one of my most watched movies maybe not at this point um it was my favorite movie for a long, long, long time growing up. The first one. There, there, some of the others are like, okay, but like, it's really the first one when you're thinking about that franchise. Um, I feel like there are like memes on the internet that are like, what are the characters that you had a crush on when you were younger that like should have indicated that you were gay? And for the most part, I don't feel like I have those. Like, I don't really remember what my cartoon crushes are or whatever, but I definitely like Elizabeth Swan inspired a lot of feelings in me. And also um, unrelated to the gay awakening, but one time in college, I did write a short paper on why Will, Elizabeth, and Jack should have been in a polyamorous relationship, and I did get, like, a hundred on it or something. I got a high score. As a professor who <laughs> well, let me do a lot of things. Should. <laughs> Congratulations. This is a, a professor I had for several Greek mythology classes who I would go to his office hours so he could loan me his Marvel comics, um, if that gives you any indication <laughs> oh, of the wow. kind of relationship we <laughs> have. best friend. Like, literally. Nick also reminded me that allegedly... Maybe um, I may have pirated media, but I think in the most, if if allegedly I had done these things in the past, uh -huh. in the most on-brand way possible, the things I can remember theoretically in this <laughs> hypothetical universe of pirating yeah. were um, a significant amount of Marvel comics in which I would then, like I read the entirety of Civil War in math class in high school that I had maybe you did. gotten, maybe. You might have. Um, and also a significant number of video game ROMs, but specifically like Pokemon ROMs, but specifically <laughs> ones that had been like modified to be like a different, so it's like a different story or like a different set of Pokemon oh, or whatever oh. to like kind of keep the game fresh, but you're like still going off of the base models mostly from like Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, allegedly. I don't really know that that is pirating. Probably. Probably ROMs are not allowed, but that's okay. 
<laughs> but they're also like unique. Okay, it doesn't really matter. They're like fan fiction. Sort of, yeah. Transformative media. Um, <laughs> this all to say, yeah, I loved Pirates of the Caribbean, but otherwise did not really have um, a strong connection to pirates or pirate media until if you listened to the end of the year um, minisode, you will know that I fell down a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole of the One Piece live action and sort of the anime related to it. So originally when Brenna was like, my theme's going to be pirates, I was like, oh, what am I going to bring for pirates? And I was like, oh. I'm currently sort of in a pirate fandom. And then I brought a fic for Les Mis, a fandom I've never been in. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Maybe I'll get into this with my fic discussion. Maybe not. But it is interesting, the kind of pirate media that One Piece is versus like the kind of pirate media that I would traditionally think of as in like a Pirates of the Caribbean or Black Sails or whatever. Um, Gojo. Oh, oh my no, God, I'm going to kill you. Kaisen, you know Jujutsu that's Kaisen. wrong. Wait, I remembered. <laughs> Zoro, Zoro. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah. hold on. I know. He's right here. Oh my god, there he is. Is that guy's name Zoro? Yeah. Yes. And okay. Genji. Genji. Sanji? Yeah. Oh, Sanji, Sanji. <laughs> Which one's Genji? Who's there Genji? Someone named Genji There's in somebody some something. anime. There's somebody like, somewhere probably? named Genji for sure. <laughs> oh, we're on episode clown, one man. of the new year. Episode one, and I'm crossing off the bingo square. <laughs> Read despairs about Coho Slack of anime knowledge. Oh, it's not our job. It's your job. <laughs> but it's like I didn't bring it. I brought up One Piece. I didn't bring up Gojo. That's I on Nick. Get so excited <laughs> to flex my knowledge. <laughs> like Luffy. Yeah. Is from One Piece. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like Brenna should know that one. Brenna, Brenna I, I do that. know that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Brenna, why don't you talk about your pirate media? Yes, I had a somewhat similar uh, trajectory with pirate media to read up until a few years ago. Maybe like actually more than a few now, like six years ago or so. Um. Anyway, that that's not really the point, but. Early on in my life, the pirate media I had seen the most, and I did watch numerous times, it probably is still one of my most watched movies, just because I generally don't watch movie like, rewatch movies that much, so, like, there's only a handful that are up there at all, um, is Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, specifically, the first one is the one that I have rewatched the most, um... A friend of the pod and I tried to rewatch some of the other ones like a couple years ago and we forgot how much the second one is just like tentacles and we were like, <laughs> um, no hate to like the tentacle lovers out there, but we couldn't handle it. Um, <laughs> we had to stop watching. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have like Elizabeth Swan was always my favorite part of Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, alongside just the fact that like for the time it was a very cool movie to watch and I remember like getting the DVD with my parents we watched all the behind the scenes making of where like they had the actual ship built and stuff and I was like that's really sick um so I remember just thinking like that kind of stuff was really cool um I also thought Orlando Bloom was handsome um I also liked him as Legolas so you know there was a lot going on there um I love Elizabeth Swan's like dress when she's first standing up on like the bear not the barricades the like what do you call that um the parapet i don't think that's right either <laughs> the parapet the people sing people sing <laughs> not sing yet the oh, song sorry, sorry. of sad men angry men angry men angry <laughs> angry the song of bad men <laughs> i said sad oh, that's not bad <laughs> anyway <sighs> um yeah i like i feel like 
it was that scene where like she has the medallion on the necklace and she like falls backwards into the water was just like really impactful to me um not even necessarily in a gay awakening way although i do think Kira knightley is very beautiful i just was like the aesthetics and then i've forever since been sort of obsessed with like fluffy dresses and pirate looks and stuff <laughs> um but i do have to say like my biggest beef with pirates of the caribbean was always like the sort of question of like and for what um like i just was not compelled by jack sparrow's motives <laughs> Um, I liked Elizabeth a lot as a character, but then Jack was just sort of like, I'm doing this thing, which I get that like genuinely there were a lot of pirates who were just like, I like piracy. I like to steal and I like to kill and like, this is fun. Um, I, however, did not find that like narratively compelling throughout the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like the sort of premises for why they're doing anything gets like weirder and weirder and like harder to sort of justify anything happening. <laughs> um... So, you know, I, it didn't really, like, make me crave more pirate media as a child. And I remember, like, my family and I used to go to North Carolina most summers, and, like, there's a lot of shipwrecks off the Carolinas and, like, a lot of pirate shipwrecks, and there were always, like, these little tourist traps that were pirate-themed, and I was like, <laughs> whatever, who cares? Um, oh, my God, Brenna, you unlocked a memory for me. I'm so I have to say this about pirate. This is really yeah. important. When I was in elementary school, my class went on a ship for, we went overnight. And it was like a whole experience. Like they gave us little outfits and we had to have, we had shifts, like four hour shifts of standing watch. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There were people who were part of the galley and they like got up early and made the food. The captain liked me and he was like, you could become first mate someday. And I was like, well, God, I'm cool. I had forgotten <laughs> about that completely. Thank you so much for reminding me. That is my most formative pirate experience for sure. It wasn't a pirate ship, I guess. It was a ship ship, but I felt like a little pirate. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, and then towards the end of college, I watched a little show that was on Stars <laughs> called Black Sails. And I was like, oh my god, this is what pirate media could be. Like, have I been missing out on this this whole time? I don't really think so. I don't, like, it doesn't seem like there's a plethora of other shows or, like, media that were doing what Black Sails was doing. Um, but I was like, this has unlocked something inside me. I was also actively studying um, post-colonial theory <laughs> and was feeling very, like, fuck the British Empire. Um, and this show is, like, incredibly fuck the British Empire. And I was like, yeah, pirates. <laughs> Yeah, queer gay pirates. Oh my god, it's like she's in a sports <laughs> um, game. And then it like, yeah, it unlocked <laughs> something inside me that I didn't know existed, and I became really obsessed with it. I think it remains to date one of the best TV shows I've ever watched. Season one is a little rough, but like collectively, the four seasons I think are incredible. I love the story it tells, um, and I love the characters. It's very like rich and intricate. The characters, none of them have like easy relationships with each other. Uh, and again, it's very like the point of a lot of the pirate, like different pirates in it have different motives, but like our sort of main character of the show, Flint, his point in piracy is very like, I will take down the British Empire. And I found that just so much more compelling than Jack Sparrow being like, I'm just around saying weird shit. <laughs> um, so that really unlocked a new sort of window into what pirate media could sort of be. And I did a lot of thinking about pirate media um, because of it. 
since then i haven't i wouldn't say i've like delved deep into into pirate media um i do know that there are some very popular pirate shows currently um one may say brenna why aren't you talking at all on this episode about the hit show our flag means death it's because i don't care um (laughs) i'm so sorry that was really blunt i do understand the appeal of it and i'm very happy for the people who enjoy it genuinely i however watched a handful of episodes and said eh it's just not my kind of show. Um, and also, there was that time that there was a fan war, and I, it unlocked something in me that I usually only sort of experience when, like, my favorite sports team is playing their enemy team, and I'm like, we will crush you into the ground. And that's how I felt about the poll that was, like, who would win between James Flint and, like, Steed. And I was like, Flint would cut off Steed's head and like eat him. Um, are you even kidding? How is this a competition? Brenna sets aside her dislike for cannibalism <laughs> temporarily <laughs> to support just cheering her man. on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, most of my dislike about Our Flag Means Death really comes from people being like, "Now this is a gay pirate show," and I'm like, "But there was one, and it was really good, and you all are haters for no good reason, and now I'm gonna be a hater for no good reason." <laughs> Um, and then I was a hater. So I that's think that's that. beautiful. If someone pisses you <laughs> off, you, you should try and piss them off in exactly the same way to resolve the issue. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I always say. Um, anyway, so we won't be discussing Our Flag Means Death on this uh, podcast episode. I also haven't gotten into One Piece live action. I am not a hater. I just I haven't experienced it as a piece of media. Um I did read some pirate books this past year. I also moved to the seaside and I realized that I really enjoy reading about people who are on like sailing vessels while I gaze out at sea, sort of like a a widow um, (laughs) hoping that her husband will miraculously return from a sea voyage, even though like the reports are that the ship capsized and everyone died. Um, Anyway, I read uh, The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi, which is a pirate book that I had quite a fun time with. It's gotten some mixed reviews and I can understand that, but I had fun. Um, And then I also read a series by Robin Hobb, who you've heard me talk about like 600 times on this pod, and it's not going to stop anytime (laughs) soon, um, called The Live Ship Traders, uh, which follows a number of characters, some of whom are pirates. Um, They're like not, the main pirate guy is like not a good person, but I do think it's a very interesting arc in terms of, again, what is the driving factor be- behind people's piracy is something that I I think is kind of the make or break aspect of pirate media for me. Um, do I find their motivations compelling and sort of worth following along or not? Because the aesthetics are cool, but like they're not cool enough for me to watch a pirate show if I don't sort of like have some investment in the piracy that's happening. And when someone wants to take down Empire, I'm like, yeah, I'm in my seat. I'm seated. So that's my journey. That's why I'll be talking about Black Sails today on this podcast. Um, I hope some of that was coherent. I'm sorry I've been talking so long. It's your birthday. (laughs) But it's my birthday episode! Hoist the sails and let's fly to Nyx! My fic for this episode is You'll Never See the End of the Road While You're Traveling with Me by AO3 user Erwin for Critical Role Campaign 1. Uh, The characters in this are the beloved Vox Machina, which you might know from watching Critical Role Campaign 1 or from watching the animated series, which is now out and very good. 
This story centers around two main characters, Percy and Keyleth, and in it, most of Vox Machina, minus Percy and Scanlan, are the crew members on an airship, and they are pirates, if you can believe it. They go around and they steal things. Incredible. Um, before we jump into more summary, I'll really quickly give some content warnings. There are not many, I don't think, for this story. Really, the main thing is just references to Percy's canonical backstory, which is, frankly, pretty messed up. I can't lie to you about that. It's, like, better in this story, frankly, than it is in the show. Um, but there's a little bit of genre-typical violence. People get kidnapped. There is some peril. Overall, though, it's a pretty lighthearted romp that focuses a lot on, like, found family. And a little bit of action. So in this story, Percy, who canonically has a lot of money, ends up hiring Vox Machina's airship, which Scanlan also hoists a ride on just for kicks, um, in order to transport some mysterious cargo with him. Uh, we later find out that Percy is also wanted across the continent of Tal'Dorei, and Vox Machina have to decide if they are going to turn him in and claim the reward, or help him in his quest once they hear his side of things, his story, what he needs from them, and the help that he could use. Very found family focused. I have thoughts about the way that found family as a trope operates in a lot of pirate stories and pirate AUs, and also similarly other AUs where there is a crew of some kind. Um, and I just love these characters. I, when I was looking for Critical Role fic, I was looking at Campaign 2 because that's where they're like canonically pirates for a good chunk of the narrative, but then I picked a Campaign 1 fic because I like these characters better. <laughs> <laughs> It's just my truth. Also for Brenna's birthday, of course, I had to bring a Percy-centric fic, which she loved. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So those are really, really broad overview thoughts. This fic is like 11k, so if you want to go read it, I think you can get through it pretty quickly. Might be a little confusing if you don't know anything about Vox Machina, but hey, that's part of life, right? Just give it a go. <laughs> you might not know what's going on, but maybe you'll have a good time anyway. Okay, I'll share more in a second, but first I want to hear what my co-host thought of my, I was going to say, piratical entry. <laughs> That's not really a word. <laughs> my pirate-related story. Yeah, I think you're so right that this was a fun romp of a pirate story. I am a campaign to truther. That is where I started my critical role journey. That is where my heart lives. But I do like campaign one. I've definitely told this story in the pod before, but I was recently reminding my friends of how technically the first campaign one media I consumed was Nick locking me in their car to show me the 20 minutes of Vax's death scene. Then I read spoilers. a whip. The modern Yes, well, spoilers, <laughs> but it's been out for a Pretty while. So, you know. Um Then I read like 50k of a modern AU whip in which I incorrectly was imagining, like I thought Liam played Percy. I really didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Uh, and then I saw the Search for Grog live show. So that really set me up for some interesting <laughs> perceptions of Campaign 1. But I've learned a lot about it since. And I watched the animated show, which I enjoyed quite a lot. Um, and if Nick's gift to Brenna was this being Percy-centric, this wasn't quite a gift to me, but something I very much appreciated is that it's also Keyleth-centric. One of the first things I did also learn about Critical Role Campaign 1 was Nick being like, people hate Keyleth and, well, okay, this is what we were talking about. It's if people are being petty in a way that annoys you, you just sort of do the same thing back where you're like, if people are going to hate Keyleth, I'm going to hate the Keyleth haters. I love her. And that's uh, correct. I thought you meant like, I'm yeah. going to hate Scanlan. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you just like, as far as I understand, I mean, like Keyleth is great, but also I think in reaction to people being shitty, you're like, I'm going to love her extra. Yeah. She's my perfect girl who is sometimes very difficult to watch. But I love her. 
Not in the animated show, though. I feel like the animated True. show was her redemption. They did her justice. Mm. A lot of your fondness has transferred onto me. So I very much appreciated that this story was um, both Percy and Keyleth-centric. And I know that uh, we have thoughts about the fact that it is a nonlinear narrative and that it's also dual POV. I thought it was interesting to have the different time periods be set in those different characters' POVs and like what that added to the story. Um, and there were a lot of through lines between Nixfic and mine about sort of what draws people to pirate stories and to, as you said, sort of the found family aspect and what pirate media can look like when it is a more joyous romp. And I think all of those things will be fun to explore in both this fic and the next one. Absolutely. I really appreciated that this was campaign one critical role because that's the campaign I have the most familiarity with and the characters I have the most familiarity with. And Nick is correct. Percy is my favorite. So it's always nice to have a Percy moment. Um, yeah, I largely found myself thinking about sort of why people choose to put characters into a pirate AU or like what are the motivations? Like, as I mentioned in the intro, for me, a big make or break with like how successful a pirate story is, is like how compelling the pirate's motivations are. Those can be motivations for like, quote, good or like, quote, evil. <laughs> um, you, I think you can make them compelling or boring on both sides. Um, so for me, like a big part of, yeah, like what, makes piracy interesting is like why are people doing it in the first place um and like what has driven them to it and i think it's very like kind of wholesome how often in sort of a pirate au where like the original content didn't involve piracy it's like we're doing this for good and it's sort of a robin hood piracy um which is a little bit sort of what's going on here but yeah, I definitely want to get into that and like the found family aspects. Um, I think this made some interesting choices in terms of like sort of not having everyone already know each other at the beginning, um, which diverges from Critical Role. And I think this also did a very admirable job of uh, weaving together Critical Role canon um, with the sort of universe that this fic has created. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't we start with the the found family aspect then? Because one thing I was thinking about as I was looking for pirate fic in general. Okay, a couple things. First, there is a lot of pirate AU fic on AO3. And a good chunk of it is not what I was looking for necessarily. I don't know how many thoughts I will have about this right now. Maybe I'll have more later. Maybe I won't. Maybe you'll have to just live with this small amount. But a lot of the fics are quite dark and similar to like a mafia AU in some ways, and specifically around one character being given to the other or claimed by the other as like a war prize or a slave, and then that becoming sexy and or romantic. And I just think like it's an interesting dynamic. One fic I was considering bringing in did not, um, partly because it was quite long and we were on a shorter timeline <laughs> with this particular episode. It's like a 50k Devil Wears Prada fic where Miranda is uh, a pirate queen. It's not really a spoiler. You can uh, glean that pretty early on. Who is captured by Andy's politically powerful father and given to her. She's a botanist uh, as a slave, basically. And then it's about their relationship and moving forward and like the conflicting feelings about having someone in that position of kind of subservience to you against their will. There's interesting stuff there. Um, I didn't bring a fic that does that, obviously. The crit roll fic doesn't do that at all. <laughs> um, but I thought it was interesting because that's one big category of pirate AU fic, I think. And then another big category is one that I did pull from, 
which is this team as family, ragtag crew, people who come together, they're doing some criminal stuff, but they have hearts of gold and you have to root for them. Vox Machina in Crit Roll are canonically like the good guys. Capital G, capital G again. They save the universe. They get it all right. It's a big deal when one of them, um, their alignment goes to neutral partway through the story. It's like really shocking. And it's like, wait, what happened? Um, oh, wait, who? Vex. Ah. She steals the flying broom of a guest. And I think Matt did not appreciate that she did that. The flying broom wasn't yeah, Scanlan's? Yeah, a little bit of a harsh consequence. The flying broom wasn't what? Scanlan's? No. Oh, it's Scanlan's in the animated show. Sorry, this is it not is. relevant. Um, no, it's it's part of I'm a completely things. different arc. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, she does some thievery and Matt is like, oh, Vex's alignment changed and it made waves in the fandom. People had a lot of feelings about like, well, if Vex's alignment changed with this, why didn't this person's thing change with like these other acts of crime that they did? But I think it was more about the fact that it was a guest that came on the show for one episode and then died in lava during that same episode um i think it was the same episode anyway i digress the point that i would like to make is that i think pirate au's much like organized crime sometimes mafia but often just general organized crime heisting assassin au's um like we saw in the ted lasso fic or like a sports team au uh, you get these built-in teams or crews for characters to have specific roles in. And when the original source material, like Critical Role, has characters who take on defined roles within a team, it transfers over so easily. So I think this also speaks to Brenna's point of the canon integrating well. It just makes sense to pop them kind of over and have it um, translate and have it become this setting that's different. But a lot of the dynamics between characters and the way that they talk to treat behave towards each other it still feels familiar enough that you're not lost or confused or trying to keep up with this new setting or au while also keeping up with the plot of the story yeah i think also like something that you see a lot in both sort of things that are dnd ish <laughs> whether that's uh an actual sort of dnd like campaign in this case of like critical role or something that just sort of modeling itself off of a dnd like structure is sort of that these groups tend to be somewhat like ragtag misfits who like found each other and that's not always the case people obviously write their campaign backstories in a lot of different ways but like that is a quite common sort of like way to structure the group and i think something that piracy also offers in terms of a narrative aspect is like pirates are often sort of outside of standard civilization or outside of the law in some way and like that can be sort of for <laughs> negative and bad reasons and definitely pirate media plays into that um but it, I think on the other side, you can sort of look at it as like, who just doesn't fit in? And like, why might they have turned to this like life of crime? And who might they have found there? Um, I think we see this also in Reed's fic when we get there. Um, I think that's another element that sort of is at work to blend the critical role and space pirate atmospheres here. I guess, are they in space? Or are they no, in the sky? They're sky just in pirates. the sky. They're on an airship, okay. which is canonical to crit role. Yes, I think yes. to D&D in general as well. Also, to your point, Nick, about Vox Machina being the double capital G good guys, I do find it interesting to put them in a pirate AU because, as you mentioned, there is a canonical pirate arc for Campaign 2, but also Mighty Nine are, I don't want to say, like, fully morally great. Like, they're still, for the most part, like, doing the good guy thing, but they're doing so much more sort of in the outskirts sometimes. of, like, the law and, like, yeah, they're very much doing things their own way, which is to say that... 
when I was looking for a fic, Nick, before you had picked this critical role one, I was also looking for a critical role, but I was looking not just for campaign two, because that's what I'm more familiar with, but I had seen in the tag a lot of people expanding out a sort of full pirate AU, or like one of the, a couple of the characters canonically are pirates at some point, Kingsley is like a pirate, whatever. And that made a lot of sense to me to take what is already in the canon and expand it out versus in this fic, it's interesting because you said there are pirates in campaign one, but like barely, and these are the good guys. And yet, even though the fic technically puts them in this position outside of the law, like by nature of being pirates, you are not doing things lawfully. It still is very much like they're the good guys. Like, spoilers for the plot of the fic, but Percy's like, hey, I need to go destroy some guns because I don't want these weapons just like around on the continent. But I don't want to just blow up the ship. And then things go awry. And then later they're like, don't worry, we blew up the ship, but we got everyone off and everyone is safe. And so it's still very much this like, yeah, maybe we're doing things that are illegal, but we're still doing things by our moral code and we're not crossing the line too much. Like we're not actually endangering people or causing a lot of harm where we can help it. Um, They're very noble. Yeah. Yeah, I do have to say like for all their nobility, it sort of makes them not pirates in some ways. Um, Like Nick, I know you worked really hard to bring a piece of pirate media and I, I do think this fully, I, I think within the realm of like what we they call them culturally pirates. now- <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm just saying. When I, I looked up earlier, like, what is an? <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> the only qualification for being a pirate is having a ship and calling yourself a pirate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are two really important qualifications. Um, earlier when we were talking in sort of our pre-discussion, I was curious what the actual definition of like pirate was. I wasn't sure, like, to the to the sort of letter of not the law but of wikipedia um like what makes you a pirate and there's a bunch of different definitions also now incorporating our understanding of like pirating media um but the noun is a criminal who plunders at sea commonly attacking merchant vessels (laughs) um we have definitely like We've definitely taken sea to other places that you can have a ship, I think. Um, Air and space, I think, also very much makes sense to me. But I do think there's an aspect of piracy where, like, you are supposed to be stealing stuff. (laughs) They do not actually steal stuff before. Um, But they have stolen stuff before. I just think it's funny (laughs) that in this story, they're sort of like, well, I'll just blow something up for good, Um, which is kind of what they do in reads, too. Yeah. Something, Bren, off of what you were just saying. This was not fact-checked by Wikipedia, but I did go on a little search for some, like, (laughs) articles and stuff about pirates. I wasn't quite finding what I wanted, but I did find something. um, It was an interview by Rebecca – well, the person being interviewed was Rebecca Simon, who had written a book about piracy. This is on historynet.com, so I don't know. (laughs) Make your judgments about how (laughs) accurate you think this is. But uh, she was talking about Captain Kidd and how he became a pirate – because he was a privateer, so he was hired by the government to, like – go seize ships but then he became a pirate and the technical way that that according to rebecca um it was that he got in a fight and killed a crew member on board and it was a ship that was like loyal to the british empire he didn't realize um and so legally if you rob a ship and kill someone on a body of water you are a pirate which i thought that was an interesting distinction um which would then disqualify both nick and i's fix from being pirates Well, I guess maybe they kill some people in my fic. It's a a little ambiguous. But I feel like that's sort of part of like, I feel like part of that definition, even if, was it Rebecca? Yes. Doesn't say it explicitly is that like, as a privateer, you probably wouldn't be a pirate if you were just killing the pirates. It's killing someone on a British vessel that like also contributes. So 
I do think that plays into Reed's fic, which we haven't gotten to yeah, yet, yeah. but we keep mentioning Everyone, I did my best. I did the best I could. <laughs> no, you did great. You did so great. I ge- like genuinely, I just was also having a little laugh. <laughs> it happens. Um, I think one other thing I want to mention too, this fic reminded me in one very specific way of Wander the Wild Whereby by AO3 User Mediast, which we have discussed twice on the pod. And we'll discuss again. No, we won't. We could. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm never down. Never say never, Reed. <laughs> I'm interested. And when this podcast becomes only about <laughs> Wander the Wild Whereby by Mediast. I think I said this in an email recently to Stifled Laughter that um one day you're just going to see on the feed I've gone rogue and I've released like a two hour quote unquote minisode and it's just me doing a solo episode where I talk about Wander the Wild Whereby. Do not because do I still that have so many yourself, feelings about Reed. it. Are you kidding me? I would join you for that. <laughs> why haven't, why didn't you invite yeah, us? Reed, what the hell? Brenna and I will release our own. <laughs> <laughs> on Wander the Wild Whereby. <laughs> so sorry to Erwin, we've completely derailed our conversation of your no, fic I'm, I have a to reason. talk about a different I have fic. A reason. Um, the reference is on purpose. <laughs> Wander the Wild Whereby states that it was inspired by Firefly, as does this fic. I know all about Firefly, and it's not the same show as Torchwood. <laughs> I, I knew that, but I learned why today. <laughs> so that's good. Um... I suspect that Firefly has a, a plot line that these two fics both pulled from, unless they just both independently came to the same idea, which I also love. Um, spoilers, pew, 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 for the fic. Percy comes aboard Vox Machina's ship with some cargo, and he's like, don't worry, everyone, this is completely normal cargo. There's not a person in here. He doesn't say that, but it's it's the vibe. And then later, lo and behold, his sister is in the cargo, much like in Wander the Wild, whereby where, yeah, there, there is a guy in there in that suitcase. Hilarious. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's like also an interesting point when we're thinking about what makes a pirate a pirate in terms of like smuggling people, smuggling cargo, taking on perhaps a noble person who is running away from something related to their noble home and they join this band of criminals and just go reed's gonna have more to say about that later (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i think that's like interesting too um i I don't know i just thought that was a very fun little plot point and the second there was like oh like what's in there i was like it's cassandra (laughs) i knew i knew it and it was her and she was not doing well (laughs) but don't worry she's okay by the end and we love that for her yeah, so like another thing that was pulled from the canon to some degree, but definitely changed a lot to make sense in the context of this particular story. I do feel like there is like a splash of, I, I don't know if like moral ambiguity is the right word, but the fact that Percy's like, I'll do whatever, I'll become the engineer of your ship as long as you protect me and my sister, like that feels very right for a pirate story. Like he's already kind of an outcast on the run by nature of being slandered by the Briarwood. So he's like, yeah, I'll throw in league with some pirates. Having like, a bounty I don't... on his head. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't really care as long as like the two of us are safe. There's something in there that feels like just, yeah, very right for a pirate story. Yeah, I forgot to mention in my sort of list of pirate media that I've consumed that was formative for me was Firefly, which I watched in high school and really loved. Um, I think there's aspects of it that I came to be like, that's problematic. And also things that just simply haven't aged well over time. Um... But at the time I watched it, I it was very formative for me. I guess it is sort of a space pirate show. It's sort of a space western show as well. Um, they just do some pirating. They also do a lot of like smuggling and just sort of illicit 
activities um, that generally aren't very nefarious. Uh, they're just sort of trying to like, they're a little gang of misfits trying to get by. <laughs> it's the classic premise. Um, but yeah, I, I have something I was thinking about while we were having this discussion is just like, what have we sort of lumped into like pirate media? Um, and I don't think this is a bad thing at all, but like, I think sort of just broadly, it definitely includes things like smuggling and like other sorts of sort of illicit traffic by boat or sky boat or space boat ship. <laughs> um. One thing I really wanted to mention is the fact that this story is in, it's told through a nonlinear narrative. We have two POVs, we have Percy and we have Keyleth. I guess, is there, there's not a third. It's just that it switches mm-hmm. briefly in terms of who's talking when. Yeah, I think if I'm remembering correctly, it's Percy sort of in the present and Keyleth in the past. Yes. So we have our two POVs. And this story does have some stuff that's out of order. Uh, We open kind of in media res of Percy going, damn, I hate being kidnapped. That's paraphrasing. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so you're like, oh, shoot, they got kidnapped. That's bad news. Um, You get a little bit of kind of external thoughts. Okay, who are the other people at play? Who are they waiting for? What happened? And then you kind of go back to the beginning of the story. And it flashes back and forth a few times in a way that I thought was very clever. I think it worked really well because of the first, the length of the story, I think was suited well to going back and forth a little bit. You don't have to wait too long to get answers, which I always appreciate. I think there are times where I will be reading a story that goes back and forth between either POV or timeline. And I'm like, wait, can we go back to the one that was more interesting? (laughs) And that is even more true in like a fantasy novel or something. I tend to struggle with those a little bit. But in the story, uh, we get kind of in and out of the action, in and out of the backstory, in and out of understanding who's part of the crew and what's happening and what's their dynamic with each other. What do they think of Percy? What do they think of Scanlan? Who's involved in making decisions and what decisions are they making? Um, And then we get to jump a little bit forward to into the, oh my God, they're stuck. They're on this foreign ship. They don't know what's going to happen. They're scared. Uh, They're trusting that their friends will come save them. It really worked, and it gave me a lot of thoughts about how nonlinear narrative functions differently in fan fiction than it does in original fiction. And one of the ways that it functions differently is that because we are theoretically familiar with the characters involved and oftentimes their relationships to one another, I've never read a critical role fic, for example, where Vex and Vax are not twins <laughs> um, and very close to one another. I've never read a crit role fic where Pike and Grog are not already established in some way and very fond of each other. We have these pre-existing bonds in the source material that really inform our understanding as we're getting oriented within the fic. And so when we have an unlinear narrative like this, we don't have to worry necessarily about getting oriented with who is Keyleth, who is Percy, what's going on with them, versus in original fiction, oftentimes the nonlinear narrative actually is a lot about trying to ground in character. Who is this? You might get like a Six of Crows style prologue where it's like, who is that? I don't know who that is. (laughs) And we're not going to see this person again because they're a random guard in the prologue until like the very end of the story when we happen to like glance at their body or whatever. Um, It's a really different context and situation. So I think in fic, a lot of times it actually lets us first build a little bit of tension. We talked about this in our minisode on genre and fanfiction, where we are missing tension from, oh my gosh, who are these people? What's going on with them? What are we going to learn about them? But we gain back tension of, okay, what is happening in this story that they got kidnapped? I'm sure we'll learn later in the backstory and the past timeline will catch up to this present one. But I'm excited to find out. 
out. We get stakes that are built in immediately. And then also sometimes we get a little bit about setting or we do get some things about character and dynamic development over the course of the story. Okay, Percy and Keyleth are strangers in the past timeline, but we know that they get locked up together in the present timeline. What happens to get us there? So all of that I thought was really, really solid. And it just made me think about the different ways in which fan fiction authors have simultaneously more and less tools, more and fewer, I guess, tools at their disposal compared to original fiction authors. It is a different genre in a lot of ways, and that um, gives us as readers different expectations, and it gives the writers different things to play with. That was our discussion on You'll Never See the End of the Road While You're Traveling with Me by Erwin, a very fun story that I definitely recommend reading, especially if you are in the mood for some uncontestedly pirate-related shenanigans, Brenna. <laughs> Thank you. From airship to spaceship, let's talk about my fic. My pirate fic for this episode is The Polyphonic Tides of Revolution by Diffractum. Uh, for the fandom Les Mis, the pairing is Andras Granter. The additional characters is just all of Leia Mi. I didn't realize that was a character tag, but I kind of love that I'm seeing that now. This is a space AU, and it is tagged for space pirates. I'm not in Les Mis fandom. I've never been in Les Mis fandom. I have watched the movie once. We all know on this pod that Nick has watched the movie five times. But most recently in 2013. I feel like that's important to clarify. <laughs> um, so this is my blanket apology for probably doing poorly with some of the pronunciations of the names, but I looked up a couple and I'm going to do my best. Um, you might be wondering, as I said, because I am deep in One Piece live action fandom, read, if you are in a fandom for pirate media, how did you end up in a fandom <laughs> that has nothing to do with pirates? Um, great question. So if you listen to the minisode, I'd kind of been like waiting for Yuletide to put out some like One Piece live action fics that were really what I was looking for. And I did get that, which is great for me. But even though I've not read fics that I have enjoyed for the fandom, none of them really felt like right for the pod or for this episode. Um, and after spending quite a lot of time in the general One Piece tag, and again, just not really finding what I was looking for, I was like, well, if I can't find my pirates in canon, I shall go somewhere else. And the somewhere else that I went to was the Space Pirates tag. And in part, I picked this tag because I thought it would be interesting to talk about pirates in different contexts. Like, what exactly makes for a space pirate? Obviously, in Nick's fic, we were discussing quite a bit about um, sort of the qualifications of piracy. But I do think it's interesting because to bring back Wander the Wild Whereby, I don't think that fic is tagged for pirates. I could be wrong. They smuggle stuff, but like pirates is not really an identity that is like close to the heart of those people. But arguably the things that those characters are doing are not so dissimilar from the things that like these characters are doing. And so I think it's interesting when a fic sort of presents itself as like space pirates. What does that mean? I did have slight fear. I was like, oh no, what if it's tagged for space pirates, but it doesn't feel piratey enough, but never fear. They don... Um, what one might classically think of as a pirate costume, <laughs> they have hollow swords and sword fighting and um, piracy abounds. So all is well in that regard. Before I get into a brief overview of this fic um, with a sort of plot summary and content warnings, I do just want to note that for the majority of this fic, um, Anjaros is referred to with they them pronouns. I feel like typically if you're reading a Les Mis fic, unless it's specifically a story about gender, I think the more common thing is to see he, him pronouns. Um, so I just wanted to flag that so people are not confused uh, in my preface for this fic. This fic is also tagged for alternate universe regency. Um, 
Among the three of us, I think we think royalty is probably a little bit more of an applicable tag. So when we start out, Anjoros um, is one of three siblings in line for the imperial throne, deeply upset with sort of the state of that as a general thing and also the fact that they are about to be married off um, in a political marriage. And so they reach out to their two friends and they're like, hey, I'm coming to join you for this secret plot that we've been hatching for many years that you don't really get a lot of details on, but you know is not something that is favorable to the imperial throne. Anjoros needs a way off of the planet and manages to bully Granter into letting Andras aboard his ship. Uh, and once getting aboard the ship, pretty quickly realizes that they are in so over their head. Um, Granter and his fairly capable crew of criminal pirates are like, you do not know what you are doing. And also you are the royal prince to the throne. What are you doing? Andras is like, if I give you an obscene amount of money, will you take me to where my friends are? And they're like, sure. That leads into one of my content warnings, which is just genre-typical violence as they go on a little bit of a space adventure. Um, there is some amount of fighting, space guns, hollow swords, etc. My other sort of content warning, which is also a bit of a spoiler, is that you find out that Andras's plan, along with Comfer and Korfrak, I don't know how to say these names, I'm so sorry. Um, their plan, along with their two friends, is to end the Imperial line, and uh, that is in part because it turns out that all of the siblings and people in the Imperial line are clones who have sort of been built or grown in a flower structure, and they also have sort of cybernetics woven into the fabric of their body. Um, and so there is some stuff throughout the course of the story about sort of bodily autonomy, and they discover that there are kind of unconscious protocols that have been woven into their cybernetics. And that also infringes upon their autonomy, and it surprises them and other people around them. Nick, I think you said that well. I'm just going to use that. Um, those are really my content warnings. Yes, as mentioned, they are sort of on the lighter side of piracy. is definitely less grim and grisly than, for example, the canon of Black Sails. But there is a little bit more sort of just peril and things happening. Um, the stakes are a little bit more involved, I think, in my fic. So know that going in. Yeah, honestly, for all of the wild twists and turns that this fic um, encompassed, I had a lot of fun with it. There's some moments of real humor. And as someone who's absolutely, again, sort of no investment in the Les Mis fandom, I really did enjoy this and the characters sort of getting to see their narrative throughout the story. My co-hosts, what did you think? I had a lot of fun with this. I wasn't really sure what to expect going in. Um... Particularly because I have only really read one other Les Mis fic, and it was also for this pod, and it was also NAU. So while I have seen the major motion picture adaptation of this musical, I am not super familiar with the characters as individuals, especially because Les Mis is something that has a very big ensemble cast. So the amount of time that you spend with any of these characters in like, again, the major motion picture adaptation is pretty limited compared to like what fandom has done with them or what probably exists in like the book that I think is like fucking you could kill someone with that man. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> referred to as the brick. With that man. <laughs> <laughs> Victor Hugo, what are you doing here? Me swinging Victor Hugo at someone. <laughs> oh god. Um, or compared to the book, which I understand to be just huge. Um, so I assume that that also delves into some of the characters a bit more than I know them. Um, so this was once again sort of like reading 
original characters that I'm familiar with the names of, um, which tends to be my experience a little bit with sort of AU fix like this, but I thought this one was very fun. Um, I think it does a nice job of sort of balancing how to delve into a sort of world that's created for an AU like this. Like this is not sort of a specific space pirate world that we're in. It's one that uh, Diffractum seems to have invented, maybe drawing from a few different existing pieces of media. Um, but I thought they did a really good job with sort of balancing having a relatively intricate plot with like pretty high stakes for our central cast, while also like making it so that as a reader from the outside, it didn't feel like there was too huge of a scope or like I was really confused about sort of what was going on politically or anything like that, which I think can also <laughs> happen. Um, you know, on this pod, we're tending to talk about these somewhat shorter fix within the grand scheme of things like this is 30k that's pretty chunky but also like it's not 130k it's not 300k um and those are fix where maybe you're getting a lot more political sort of intrigue and plot and action than you can even write in 30k so i thought this set the stakes uh higher than i kind of expected for the length of this fic in a way that i found very fun um I liked our sort of, again, misfit crew of characters. Uh, it definitely is a little bit of a twist to have Andros as this prince and this royalty figure be on the run um, and also sort of be the one pushing for the revolutionary plot that comes to pass. I think this fic is a nice sort of balance in between Nyx, where you sort of have this motley crew who have a found family aspect and who are doing some light piracy, but it's, it's really not harming people like physically that much it might be harming their bank accounts but it's not like threatening physical violence on them and then sort of the black sales fic which sets the stakes higher and also has this sort of more revolutionary aspect to it um that we didn't see in the first fic we didn't need to see it in the crit roll one it just didn't happen to be there <laughs> um so yeah i i was really pleased in the end about sort of the through lines that I was able to see between the three fix that we brought, I wasn't sure how that was going to play out, especially because, I don't know, this is sort of a side note. It's something that I wanted to mention at the beginning, but I'm going to mention it here because this is where I've, <laughs> where I've thought to say it. Um, like, we are playing in the space of pirates being fun. But in reality, pirates weren't always fun. Um, there are certainly fun, sort of scary stories about real life pirates, but there are also pirates who did genuinely awful and horrific things. So I don't want to make too much light of some of that, um, even though like we are playing in a space where like, especially in two of these stories, the pirates, again, might be causing like financial harm and harm to sort of systems that seem pretty awful and sort of like the bad guys in these stories. Um, but it's playing in a pretty lighthearted space compared to some of the like realities of actual piracy in our world. Um, but yeah, I think this one, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, it like reads pretty quick for, for 30k and I think does a nice job of sort of pacing its adventure plot. Oh, Les Miserables movie of my heart that I haven't seen in over 10 years. Maybe we should watch that when we're all together. Oh my god. We absolutely should. Yeah, I think so. I'll sing along. It'll be stunning. I'll also sing along. It'll words, be a though. lot less stunning. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear the Brenna's lyric version of Les Mis. <laughs> I know. It's going to be powerful, actually. Uh, wow. I had a blast with this. I flew through it. Like Brenna said, it's about 30,000 words long. It's split into eight chapters. I thought this fic went fast. Oh my gosh. I had a great time. Um, I really, I love a really quick pace 
for an action adventure story. And I think this fic had a lot of really, really solid action scenes, descriptions of fights, um, descriptions of political maneuvering, and of kind of reunions with people you haven't seen in a long time. Like it definitely brought the drama, which I appreciated. And I think it did a good job of keeping the pace up. I was saying during pre-discussion, this could have been like 80k for sure, I think with the amount of plot that's in here, but I'm really glad that it wasn't. I think it works super well as a 30-37k story. Um, so I enjoyed that a lot. I really loved the beginning of this story. I was kind of obsessed with Angel Russ doing just a terrible job kidnapping Grantia, <laughs> but like doing so successfully somehow. <laughs> Be like, don't move. <laughs> Then also sort of kidnapping themselves via Grand Terre in a way that was really entertaining. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> I really liked that. I think, yeah, there is a fair amount of levity in this story. It takes itself seriously when it needs to. I think it was really innovative in a lot of ways. There were um, a lot of sci-fi elements that felt very sci-fi. I think sometimes, and we talked about this a little bit in our um, genre and fanfiction minisode too, but like sci-fi fic doesn't always feel like it's playing in the sci-fi space necessarily. It's using the trappings of sci-fi. It's using the setting. It's using some of the vocabulary of it, but it's often doing character work or relationship work. I also love that kind of sci-fi fic, but I think this one really engaged with the technology and the world building and the politics in a way that was really refreshing. So overall, a good time. And I think the other thing that I really loved about this story is, as with any, I think, Les fic, it grapples with ensemble. There are a lot of characters in this story, and you have to try and keep track of who's who. At first, I was like, whom? Help? What is happening? But by the end of the story, I actually felt like I had a really good grasp on who our major characters were, and a lot of the minor characters, too. I thought they were differentiated from each other. The dialogue helped us kind of indicate who was doing what. They all had distinct roles. So I loved all of that, too. Yeah, this is another fic that sort of reminded me of Wander the Wild Whereby. Um, not so much in what was actually happening <laughs> plot-wise, but just sort of like my reading experience of sort of trying to find my footing with characters I wasn't as familiar with, with a large ensemble cast in space with some complex politics going on. And I think they are both fics that really did that in an admirable way. And again, both fics that like, this is something I've come to notice more and more, but just like set the stakes, I think, at a really smart marker um the stakes in this fic feel high Anjaros and their crew of friends initially they're they're two besties that they're sort of working with on this other planet whose names i can't pronounce <laughs> um but then Grantaire and crew sort of join up and they have this much bigger crew who are all sort of working to take down um they're they're aiming to take down the empire from the inside but specifically via the mechanism of revealing sort of how the lineage of the empire is created which is through this process that's like not quite cloning but using these genetic strands to create these embryos that are then grown within an artificial womb um so Anjaros and their siblings are human but also have these cybernetics and also aren't like the natural reaction of like two pieces of DNA. They're they're much more like specifically chosen and programmed. Um, and Anjaros wants to reveal all of this and sort of bring the empire to its knees, so to speak. Um, <laughs> and I thought those were very smart stakes to, to, to set. It felt necessary for the story, I think, for Anjaros and Grantaire and everyone else to be fighting against something. Like, they're the revolutionaries of Les Mis. They have to be revolutionary in some capacity. Um, so I really, like, appreciated that aspect of the story. I like, too, how things kind of built up because... Um, as mentioned, when Andros first encounters Grantaire, 
the request is just get me off planet. And then it slightly escalates to like, okay, will you take me to the specific planet where my friends are waiting for me? But the request at first is not, hey, join us in this revolution. It's take me to my friends so we can go do this plan that we've been crafting. And by the time the Muson, which is the ship that Grantaire and friends are piloting, by the time they make it to Andras's two friends, how far can I get into this conversation without naming them? I've already done it once, but it was bad and I tried to gloss Comfer over it. and someone else. Cor- Corfreyrock. Corfreyrock. Surely it's Corfreyrock, right? <laughs> In French. Sure. Cor- Corfi. <laughs> Corfi. <laughs> That's respectful. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> By the time the crew makes it to Andras's friends, they've built up enough trust. There is this sort of thing where Andras is very awkwardly, not skulking about the ship, just sort of staying in their room for the first couple of days. And Grantaire was like, you can come be social. And Grantaire notes, because it is um, also, this is a dual POV as well, although it's not a nonlinear narrative, but we do go back and forth between Andras and Grantaire. And so you're getting a scene from Grantaire's POV where he's watching how his friends just sort of immediately pull Andras in. And I was feeling a similar thing to Nick's fic about that found family-ish. Like, they they are getting there. Um, there's a comment from Grantaire about how his ship is supposed to be run with more people, but like they're making it work with their skeleton crew. And I was like, great. Yeah, they're just perfectly, like the author is perfectly setting this up for sort of that trope or whatever of Andros and friends. for three more? Yeah, like they're going to come aboard and they're going to perfectly round out the number that the Musan needs to pilot and to like be a well-rounded crew. Um, And so again, uh, uh, to the point of stakes raising um, and so the plot building, I liked that it wasn't, that Grantaire was initially sold on this revolution thing so much as his relationship with Andros building and going on a couple excursions to like rescue one of the other crew members who was uh, on a planet, etc. Sort of building this trust to get to the point of Andros saying, hey, my real plan is not this like civil war separatist movement that's happening on this planet. My real plan is to take my two friends and to destroy the Imperial line from ever creating any other future children. Pretty big plan, and they do spoilers succeed. I was also like sort of thinking about the juxtaposition of Nick and Reed's fix in that they are both sort of pirate AUs, where the original cast is not pirates. Um, But Nick's critical role one sticks very closely to an established storyline with the Briarwoods, where even though there is revolution against an empire in the Les Mis one, as far as my understanding of Les Mis goes, (laughs) and there's like not a ton else that's like similar. I was, I would have expected an archive warning if this was going to be the case, but like part of me wasn't really sure that like Anjaros and the rest were going to make it out because like they die in Les Mis. So I was like, ah, the sacrifice. Good luck. <laughs> uh, but then they made it out. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Nick. Yeah. I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure I just listened to a podcast about Les Mis and like they talked about how the barricade boys all die. And I was like, but but here they are. Um, I mean, Andras and Grantaire do both end up sort of imprisoned, but then boop, 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 both for the very end. Um, Andras's sibling, Cosette, uh publicly executes them well it's Spoilers. i think it's implied that like cosette has murdered their father mm-hmm. um yeah for and sure. then which i love 
Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, and then taken power and is sort of able to behind the scenes uh help Andras and Granter. Um yeah, I love that political twist. Very very fun to see see them win. <laughs> I was fully expecting just sort of, or or maybe like a half win. They like that they take out the hyacinth, which is the like artificial womb that like the children of the empire are created in. But then they don't like take down the empire. I don't know the the bit where they were taking down the hyacinth also like felt very like Return of the Jedi <laughs> to me with like Luke going in to like take out the Death Star. So I was like, oh maybe they take out the Death Star, but they like don't take down Vader and the Empire. <laughs> um but then they do so like congrats to them <laughs> congrats successful pirating i would say hell yeah <laughs> buckles swashed baby <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> wow you love to see it lanto um the ending was absolutely one of my favorite parts of the story i thought that that last conversation with Cosette at the end of chapter seven was so interesting i really like that angela ross was like hold on we are anti-empire. And Cosette was like, you are anti-empire. I am the empire now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. It gets into some fun, kind of messy, not only just morality stuff and like ethics stuff, but also it just complicates the ending in a way I really enjoyed. I think it's hard, for me at least, a uh, fan of major character death, to read a story where you're expecting the main characters to potentially die or fail in some way, as they uh, unfortunately do in Les Mis. Spoilers for Les Miserables. <laughs> uh, the title might have given that one away. <laughs> but um, I think it's a little hard to then read an ending that is 100% uncomplicatedly happy. And I think in this case, the author actually did a really good job pulling that happiness back a little bit and complicating it. I was still, I'm still rooting for them. I'm happy for them. They are getting to do their little space shenanigans in secret. Maybe, potentially likely, Angela Ross will come back around and they'll be like, oh, we should still take down my sibling Cosette though, or like figure out a way to take down the Empire. But we can also just imagine them having their little adventures on the spaceship with friends doing pirate things. And that still works. And I think it works for me partly because, like, hell yeah, good for them. They have their little happy ending, but also because it's not every single loose end tied up exactly the way you would expect it to be. I really appreciate that in an ending, personally. I felt like throughout this uh, thick, there were a few shades of a pod favorite book, A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martin. Oh, um, Diffractum. If you're listening to this and you haven't read A Memory Called Empire, I would wreck it to you. I think you would enjoy it. <laughs> Something I was doing before we got on mic was I was trying to look for articles about why we are drawn to pirate stories and like what we are looking for in pirate media. I was not really finding what I wanted. Like I wanted someone who analyzes sort of media and think like, I don't know, like I wanted a, a little article and I was finding some people's like senior theses on black sales and oh. some other random things about then I was finding a lot of articles about like media piracy like pirating movies oh. I was like this is not what I want <laughs> why we steal yeah but something that I think we have talked about in the pod um and also just uh, amongst the three of us when Brenna gave us a presentation on black sales many many a moon ago <laughs> and I've never forgotten it and I never will thank you Brenna even though you were deathly ill yeah it made an impact. <laughs> Queer time, baby. Um, I definitely think one of the draws of sort of the allure of this fantasy of pirates is 
the idea of being able to break norms, right? It, it is the thing of fighting against like the empire, but also finding a place for yourself outside of society, like for the rejects and the outcasts and sort of what is allowed, like Brenna said, um, in Black Sail, sort of this, I know this is not the main thing, but like in part, oh, I'm gay and now I can become a pirate because it's like not fine to be gay there, but like it, it is a space that you aren't otherwise sort of afforded in society. And there's this long historical trend also of tying together queerness and monstrosity. And I thought all of those things were really at play in this fic. This ugh, ficlets, this is where I really wish that I had sort of written down my thoughts more concretely, apart from having a bunch of buzzwords in my head that make sense together, but I don't know how to form into sentences. But there is this thing about queerness and sort of the other and the body and all of that, again, in this fic, with Andras being someone who was sort of born through these unnatural means. The, As far as we understand it, the only people in the galaxy who are born this way is the Imperial line. It's a very well-guarded secret. And then there's the fact that Andros has sort of a cybernetic implant woven almost into their DNA. There are people who are sort of cyborgs or have cybernetics in their bodies in this world, but for it to be integrated with their body the way that it is to Andros is really, like, unheard of. Like, they have never seen something like this before. And I think it just positions Andras in this place of the other, sort of being on the outside of society. Like, they are at the heart of the Empire, they are in line to the throne, and yet they are other in all of these ways. They are other amongst Grand Terre and the crew of the ship. And while being queer does not make Andras other in this story, I think there's a lot of, like, queer through lines that, again, also tie back to piracy and why people are interested in those stories and being able to explore something kind of weird or maybe something that is seen as monstrous. That comes up in Brenna's fic, the a line about uh, monstrosity. And I have heard from Brenna that who is considered a monster and one of the stories we tell about monsters is pretty central to Black Sails. And those are all just things that they weren't necessarily at the forefront of this fic, but they did still feel very present. Um, and obviously I have spent this episode and the lead up to this episode thinking a lot about what makes a pirate story worth telling or engaging in our eyes. Yeah, and these are all themes that I saw coming up that again, I just kind of wanted to note, and I wish I had a better <laughs> ending for this, but I'll leave you with those thoughts, Ficklets. Maybe you have others that you can share with us. Well, can I jump on your thoughts? Wow, is it time to read A Cyborg Manifesto by Donna Haraway really quick? Oh, <laughs> is it? <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Um, no, I was just going to add that I feel like when we're looking at horror genre in particular but the idea of queer monstrosity like there are layers to otherness and i think we see that in this story quite a bit it is interesting i think in a lot of media crit right it can you can problematize this as well i think the question of like good rep comes up a lot like well if the only queer character is a monster that's bad and like yes and no learn your media history like it's a really interesting dynamic of trying to understand like when is the queer body allowed to be horrifying and different? When when is it allowed to be other? When is it not? These are questions that don't really have answers, at least not concrete answers. But I think it makes sense to bring that into this genre as well. And we'll see that more on the metaphorical level with Black Sails. But I think in sci-fi and fantasy and horror, we do see a lot of those parallels and the layers of otherness and the layers of difference that can represent a whole lot of things when we're looking at like human identity in our world. That is going to do it for our discussion of this Les Mis Space AU pirate fic. I know that we have spoiled pretty much all of it, but honestly, 
in a different way to Nyx, I do also think this was a fun romp. I imagine especially so if you are already familiar with and have fondness for these characters, you would very much enjoy this story. And I enjoyed reading something that was a little bit outside of my norm. First, we hated space France. Now we hate historical England. Brenna, (laughs) take us there. My fic for this episode is We Must Unlearn the Constellations to See the Stars by Lace Cat. This is a fic for the TV show Black Sails, and the central relationship is that between uh, Captain James Flint and John Silver. Um, it is a, it is tagged as a slash here, um, but I, I think you could also add in an and. It is romantic in the end, but it's also like, mm, there's, there's way more happening <laughs> than just the slow burn aspect. <laughs> um... This is sort of a Groundhog Day AU uh, in which Silver of the Future is reliving days that we saw presented within the TV series Black Sails. Um, He is not consistently reliving the same exact day. He is reliving a series of days in non-chronological order um, throughout his life um, and specifically during the time that he was sort of pirating alongside uh, James Flint. This fic definitely comes with some content warnings. Most of them are very canon typical. Um, so if you are familiar with Black Sails as a TV show, none of these will come as a surprise to you. If you are not, it is a show that does not shy away from historical uh, type violence or pirate type violence. Um, there are uh, character deaths that are referenced or even happen on screen here that are the same as canon um, and other sort of gruesome things do happen to people. Um, so it, it's definitely not a show that shies away from its bloodier side and this fic sort of goes along with canon. I think we'll get more into the plot of this as we go on because again it is Silver sort of reliving a lot of the plot of Black Sails um, which if you are unfamiliar with the sort of concept of the TV show it was created as a prequel to the book Treasure Island um, and takes some of the main characters from that as well as actual historical figures and pirates that existed at the time that this is set. Um, so you've sort of got a mishmash that I think it pulls off quite well. Two things to like know before we sort of get into this conversation and before you potentially pick up this fic, listeners, if you want to, um, are that Flint and Silver sort of have a rocky relationship over the course of the show. They do become quite like close in some ways, but also like have just a lot of tensions and their their end goals aren't always aligned um and i think they just see the world in fundamentally different ways that often clash but i think also just produce a really rich like playground for narrative and character development both in the show and for fic authors another thing to know is that james flint is canonically queer in the show it doesn't really like use labels like we do in present day specifically because people didn't really use labels like we do in present day um at the the historical time that this is set um but he was in love with a man thomas hamilton um and that is like a huge part of his character um and something that we as viewers learn in season two and then silver learns in season three um And we sort of know that England's treatment of Hamilton, along with their treatment of uh, Flint, who was a Navy officer, um, sort of results in Flint deciding, like, F this, I'm basically going to go to war with Britain. Um, 
to me, this show, season one is a little rough, but overall, it's a very, very good show. And it has so much to say about the stories that we tell about who we are, who we could be, who we were in the past, um, what we're fighting for in this life, like what matters the most to us. Um, all of that is so well done, I think. And it definitely pulls in this idea of what it means to be monstrous, who gets to define that for you. Um and I think that does go sort of with the queerness of the show, but also just sort of with the brutality that exists in the show as well. It does not pull its punches. Um, I think this is also a show that like, well, maybe not as much as some modern shows like Our Flag Means Death, which again, I'm not really getting into because I just don't know the specifics of, but I know a lot of people love that show for sort of its representation of another sort of example of like where misfits come together as pirates. Um... Black Sails is also very much about people who are outside of any sort of norm or people who just sort of can't can't and could not exist within the confines of empire um, in, a, in a variety of ways and for a variety of reasons. And I find that all very compelling. Um, so before we get into more of what I wanted to discuss about this fic, uh, co-hosts, what were your reading experiences? My reading experience was good. Ficklets, if you don't know anything about Black Sails, you're going to be confused. I still think this is still technically readable as a story. You're not going to catch all the references, though. So if you're like me, and you're like, whatever, I'll just roll with it. I love reading stuff and not always knowing what's going on. Then yeah, absolutely go for it. If you're not like me, and it's going to bug you, this might be a tougher one. So you might want a little bit more Black Sails knowledge. You could go watch the whole show, you could read the wiki, or you could say, mm, I'll pass on this one and read something else. Those are all good options. <laughs> Um, but I had a good time. Brenna sent us some voice notes with a little bit more context to help us, but I didn't remember to listen until I was like two thirds of the way through the story. Oh, so that's no. okay. <laughs> I was like, no worries. I thought that might have been the case. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. <laughs> All good. Uh, I still had a good time. So I have a lot of thoughts about the structure of this story, the premise that it takes on and the way it executes that premise, I think are both really excellent. It feels like a story that really comes from this author's thoughts about the source material and really like deep thoughts about what it would mean to go back and do things differently, which scenes are pivotal and why, what might happen if you change things. It feels deeply fan fiction in that way. It's not fluffy, I don't think, by any stretch of the imagination at any point. I love that personally, <laughs> so I enjoyed that too. Um, it feels like it's in line with what I know of the tone of the show, which is my understanding is that the canon of Black Sails is basically the fic 15 men in September, which we did a while back. <laughs> Every time I was like, oh, I know what this reference is. I didn't. I was thinking about 15 men in September, <laughs> which is also canon verse. So, you know, I did my best with that, um, but it is not technically Black Sails canon. That or the uh, AMV, the vid that Brenna linked us one we did 15 minutes of September, and again this time called Gold. Very good vid. Very good. violent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of blood and shooting yeah. and hanging and sword stabbing in this vid. <laughs> I went, oh, wow. Uh, the first time and this time, too. I probably will not be watching Black Sails, but that's okay. No worries. Um, either way, I, I just really enjoyed it. I think it's a smart fic. I think the author made smart choices, and I think it does have a lot to say about its themes, which I always really enjoy in a story. And I enjoy in fic specifically that is talking about the themes of the source material. So more to say later. It's well written. I enjoyed it. Would recommend. Yeah, I read Brenna's fic last and then I watched the fan vid after and it was 
in some ways deeply comical to go from Nick and I's fix where it's like, hee hee, we're pirates, but we're trying not to hurt people too much to this like, not overly gory. It's not like gory for the uh, sake of being gory fan vid, but it is like blood and blood and a person is shot. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is a very different <laughs> vibe of pirate media. Definitely echoing what Nick said in that, um, I think this fic slaps. There were so many lines where I was like, hell yeah, like this prose is so good. Do I know what it's referencing? Do I fully understand what's going on? No. Do I think this would hit harder if I did? Yes. Am I still enjoying myself? Absolutely. I can't remember if I said this just in our pre-discussion or at the beginning of the episode, so apologies if I'm repeating myself, but I think I had this feeling reading 15 Men in September. I definitely had it with this fic where I reached the end of the fic and I was like, wow. My desire to watch Black Sails versus knowing that I will probably never watch Black Sails. But I am going to visit both of my co-hosts um, towards the end of the month. And specifically, I will be living in Brenna's home for like a week. So that's many days in which potentially we will be watching Black Sails together. <laughs> Something I really appreciated about this fic is that it did feel like the stakes were still high and present, despite the fact that it was like... It's like not quite time loop, as Brenna mentioned. Um, Silver is going through different points in life. but. Although he is in some instances trying to change things and in other instances just sort of playing things out, sometimes things go very wrong, um, there is sort of the implication of, okay, but he'll probably reset to another moment of time. And despite that, it still felt like the stakes were high. It didn't feel like, oh, well, like whatever he does has no consequence or it'll be fine, like he'll just reset or whatever. It just felt very tense all the way through and... I think things built and came together in a way that was really satisfying. I did not know if this story would have anything approaching a happy ending, and frankly, even if it didn't, I think that would have been totally warranted, but it managed to end somewhat hopeful uh, without feeling very out of tone or out of place, uh, which I, yeah, again, just really appreciated. Another a plus one to what Nick said. I liked this fic a lot, but if you're someone who does not enjoy reading fix in which you probably should know the canon, and there's a lot of references to canon, uh, maybe this won't be exactly up your alley, but I had a good time with it. If you are not like us raccoons that dig through fandoms and then just kind of show up in people's houses and are like, hi, did you make tea for us? And they're like, who are you? And we're like, where am I? Don't worry about it. Don't we're the raccoons that live outside yeah, your house. Of course. We've set up this show so that we are contractually obligated to read what our co-hosts bring, yeah. regardless of our level of knowledge. So it's like, you might as well enjoy it and appreciate what the fic is doing, even if you aren't picking up everything that it's putting down. I have to admit, I was a little bit hesitant when I opened this fic up. I was intrigued by the premise, but also Groundhog Day AUs don't always work for me. Um, and I think my co-hosts have some thoughts about that as a trope as well. Um, but for me, sometimes it's just a little bit too heavy handed. So I was a little bit uncertain of where this one was going to go with it. But I think in the end, the way that it structured having these different moments that Silver lives through really worked for me. And... I don't know, I've been thinking a lot ever since we did our little mini-sode just about, like, where the narrative tension lies in the media that I'm consuming and, like, if it's effective for me or not. And I'm learning a lot about, like, my own preferences in terms of media from that um, and, like, what resonates with me or not. And I think what works well here is that there is the narrative tension of just, like, having sort of the time loop or, like, reliving days trope that's at action like that is propelling the story forward and providing plot momentum but it's also doing a lot of work with the narrative tension that like exists within black sails also and like part of that is just the 
relationship between Flint and Silver that like is pretty rocky and has major ups and downs throughout the series. Um, But another thing that I absolutely adore about the show Black Sails that I think this fic delves into in a number of ways that we're probably going to talk about is like just the storytelling aspect of it. Um, As I've mentioned before, like Black Sails is so much about telling stories, um, especially because we sort of have these two main characters in Flint who like has remade himself from the sort of upright naval captain to fearsome (laughs) pirate captain um and sort of made stories to go along with that and other people have made stories that sort of create his reputation but we also as viewers of the show and viewers of sort of this more intimate portrait of his life learn sort of all that encompasses him as a character versus like silver is someone we learned literally nothing about throughout the entirety of the show And I wanted to bring up this quote that I found when looking back at my own black sales tag on Tumblr (laughs) Um, that is from one of the creators and writers of Black Sales, John Steinberg. I think this was after the show ended um, and he's talking about Silver as a character um, and sort of like what might have happened to Silver as a child that he can't talk about his own past. But it goes, whatever happened to Silver was so terrible that it essentially broke his ability to exist within his own story. I think there is something that is fundamentally therapeutic about existing in a story. It's normal. It's part of the human condition. When you find your place in a narrative, you almost necessarily feel like you make sense. And so I think whatever it was that happened to him that made him incapable of reconciling that, that is his trauma. His backstory was that he was removed from his own story, and his curse is that he is stuck in someone else's story that he never really wanted to be in, and now he can't get out of. And I think that is very true for Black Sails, but like I also loved the way that this fic sort of played with that conception of Silver, and I have no way of knowing if Lace Cat had read the same post on Tumblr <laughs> that I did. It's very possible. Um... But also it could have been something that they just picked up on from the show itself. And I think there's really something about Silver sort of reliving his own story here and having the opportunity to sort of like intervene narratively and change things that like worked so well for me, particularly because of the way that Silver is set up as a character and like the way Silver almost exists in a meta level within narration. Um, Anyway, so I just absolutely love that. Sort of along those lines, Bren, something that I thought was really interesting with this fic is that Silver is trying to change a lot of the moments that he finds himself in. He is trying to immediately gain Flint's trust a lot of the time, even though that trust was built upon a long history that they haven't yet lived. And at first I was like, oh, I'm really intrigued to see sort of what the butterfly effect is going to be. And then it didn't seem like that was happening because... He goes from moment of time to moment of time, it jumps back and forth in terms of chronology, but in his own, like, recollections, there's no difference to the memory until he starts changing something. Like, there's no moment where he's like, oh, he wakes up, but this isn't how it happened. It's him being like, oh, no, 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 I know how this happens, I'm going to change it. And then at the end, you get this conversation with Flint, where Flint is like, There have been a couple of times throughout my life where you were there, but you were a different kind of you. Like you were looking at me differently and things felt different. And you realize all of these little moments that Silver was trying to intervene and change things like did have an impact. And I think that's why when that ending changes from the way that the show canonically ends, it feels worth it and earned like and it it feels like it makes sense that they are so close to reliving the exact same pattern that Silver has already lived out before. 
And then Flint is like, it doesn't have to be like this. And I think you have been trying to make it not like this. I don't know. That felt very satisfying. Uh, and I wasn't sure we were going to get there. I didn't know if it was going to end on a loop or whatever where Flint is dead because he's dead for a long time in one of the ones that Silver is living through. It's not like an every time he goes to sleep, he wakes up in a new memory. He spends a long, long time in a version of reality in which it is a little bit his fault that Flint is dead. And I didn't know if he was going to end up in a reality in which like Flint comes back and is alive, but he's dead. And instead they both get to live and be gay together. And I think that's wonderful. It's beautiful. We love gay pirates. I'm happy for them that they got their happy ending. And I do have thoughts about this kind of genre of story. Groundhog's Day definitely falls under it. That I think you can consider like trapped by the narrative. Or at the whims of the narrative. Propelled through the narrative. At random. Uncontrollably. Um, in this case, it's not necessarily that Silver is living the same day over and over, right? He's going into his past and experiencing moments that were pivotal in his relationship with Flint and moments that he would like to change. I think in this genre or subgenre, perhaps, of story, there's kind of two main approaches the author can take. So I wrote a fic several years ago now where the main character is shunted between different universes. So it kind of plays into the multiverse theory and his occupation changes or some other small thing about the world changes or relationships, whatever. And every single day it's a new universe and he doesn't know how to get out of that loop. And I think one place where myself and this author differ is the route we chose to take around whether we're answering the question or at least engaging with the question of why and how is this happening to this character? My story, that was a very central theme. And it was central because of the character and because of the story I was trying to tell. I was really pleased that this author chose not to engage with that question. I think it made a lot of sense for this particular character. I think it made sense for this story. I think it could have bogged it down in a lot of philosophical questions or introduced some kind of magical element that would have felt out of place. Because this is a canon verse story, we don't really need to know why this is happening. We don't need world building around it. We don't need a mystical element. The point is that it's happening. It's almost an absurdist take on it of, well, we're in it. So let's just be in it and let's just experience what's happening and let's not get wrapped up in all of these other pieces. So I found that really impressive. I think it worked really well. And I think to Reed's point, it made the ending feel believable too, because we don't need any aspect of the looping to necessarily be resolved. I think it feels complete because Silver changed all the things that needed to be changed. So it's on a much more meta level, the question of, okay, what makes this story feel finished? Rather than, is there this unsettled supernatural piece that needs to be addressed or resolved before we can feel like the story's done? I think that would have detracted from this particular story. And so I was just impressed by that choice. And I think it worked really well in the context of this narrative. And then also with what Brenna was saying, right? If Silver is out of place in the narrative, we don't necessarily need to be grappling with why. <laughs> if that's a major theme in Black Sails, and it's a major theme in this story, that's plenty of explanation for me. Yeah, I think something that's also important is like, sort of Silver having the capacity to grapple with these things that maybe he didn't in the moment. And like, again, this sort of goes back to like how Silver is set up as a character, but like he's someone who as he's sort of writing this story about himself doesn't seem to have like the capacity to like be open about it sort of and like 
I think it's such a smart move to have a silver of like many, many years later, sort of like the Treasure Island silver, like be able to look back and have this capacity to like reevaluate things in a way. And this is sort of tangential, but I was thinking a lot about the sort of brutality and violence in Black Sails. And I think there's an element of it that is a bit gratuitous, especially in season one. It's very obvious that Stars is trying to compete with HBO for sort of just like ooh, sex and violence, like that's what sells. I think this show by season two goes beyond that, although it does still keep the violence. I think it makes it a little bit more realistic for like what would have been happening at the time and also just like keeping the sort of stakes high in the show. But I think there's also something about brutality in media that like can be effective in sort of like measuring a character and like sort of is this trauma and is this brutality going to sort of close someone up and like build a hard shell around them or is it sort of going to break them open and it like acts on flint and silver in very different ways and so i think it's really nice to be able to see a silver who has a slightly different mindset like come back and react to these moments in a different way than like the original younger silver did it's also such a classic fantasy right the question of if you could go back and change things would you (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. that works really well here, too, because I think I feel like in the common parlance, the common wisdom, you're supposed to say no. (laughs) You're supposed to be like, oh, my experiences shape me into the person I am. And if I changed one thing, it could change everything and I could lose it. Sure. Um, I think probably for Silver, the answer being yes makes a lot of sense. And like Brenna said, there is so much value, I think, in getting to go back and say, okay, if I'm looking at this I mean, it it reminds me, frankly, of a lot of pieces around trauma healing, specifically, if we consider trauma to be a circumstance, a disorder in which part of a person is stuck in a time where they experience something traumatizing. A lot of the healing internally is actually about going back and addressing the trauma, processing the trauma, considering the trauma. We have specific like brain spotting, EMDR. There are specific kinds of therapies that are intentionally meant to encode memories into the brain into a place that makes them less disruptive to you in your day-to-day life. So this also functions, frankly, and I'm just kind of realizing this as I'm saying it out loud, this fic functions as trauma processing allegory very neatly. I don't know if the author intended that, but I find that super interesting too, of can you bring your current present day wisdom to a part of you or a version of you that was feeling very shattered, traumatized, unable to respond wisely and intentionally to the situation that's in front of you. Silver doesn't do it perfectly every time here, but there is something really healing, I think, about the chance to try. Can I have a second to be just the most on-brand as per always, um, even though it's Brenna's birthday episode? (laughs) I think that's okay. Yes, please. There's a bit somewhat early into the fic in which Flint is telling Silver about the myth of Atlas, who is the Greek titan who holds up the sky, but specifically about Heracles, who tricks Atlas into going to do a task for him and then atlas is like i'm not gonna hold up the sky anymore that sucks and then heracles tricks him again basically into shouldering that weight and flint basically is like i'll just i'll take that burden every time um but when he first brings up atlas i wrote in my notes i was like greek mythology hype horns all caps (laughs) and then immediately after when flint is like yeah i think the story is about how happiness is fleeting and always goes away i wrote agonized greek mythology hype horns (laughs) um And it comes back again at the end of the fic. One of the things that kind of sparks Flint into remembering these realities or these versions in which Silver was back to change things is Silver bringing up the myth again. 
Um, and I need to read from the fic because I was in agony and hell and dying. And the fic reads, You had me think that you were the Atlas to my Heracles. Heracles doomed him, just as I feared I would be the end of you. But there's always another version. You chose the unhappy ending, you see, the one with the largest difference between us and them. Heracles didn't love Atlas. And then he continues, I would have torn down the sky for you. I would have ripped apart the constellations so that you wouldn't have had to carry them on your shoulders. I would have doomed the universe before I would have struck you with that burden. AO3 user Lacecat, what in the fresh hell? Um, deeply upsetting. Like, I don't even need to yeah, know the canon of these guys. I'm in hell. I'm in agony. It was really good. I obviously love a Greek myth moment always. I loved the way that this one circled back around and what it said about the two of them and their perspective. Bren, as you've said, a lot of Black Sails is about the stories we tell ourselves and each other and the way that people are perceived. And I feel like this fit really neatly into that in a way that made me feel particularly awful. I read that bit and I was like, is this how people feel when they read Song of Achilles? <laughs> Maybe. I haven't read it, but people have really strong reactions to it, and I was having a strong it reaction. It did make me sob openly in a park. Song of Achilles, not this fic. Sorry to lace cat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yet to read Song of Achilles. I'm. It's a thing where I'm both afraid that it will get me, and also that it's been too long and too much hype, and that it will not get me at all. And I'm not sure which of those two. I'm in two. exactly the same boat. We're paddling the canoe <laughs> I together. was in that boat, too, but then I read it and gave it five stars. Yeah, so maybe we should read it, but... Maybe. Maybe this is the year. Okay, in the end notes of chapter three, Lace Cat links the Jack Gilbert poem that the title is inspired by, and I read it, and it was very beautiful. So I just wanted to note that too. Um, I like that they linked at the end because reading it after I read the fic was a really nice experience. Thank you for coming on this journey uh, back to Black Sails with me. I will always be in this play space if anyone wants to come say hi. Um, I would highly recommend We Must Unlearn the Constellation to See the Stars by Lace Cat. I think it's such a beautiful rendition of what a sort of time travel, time loop, fix it, fit can be um, and the power that we hold in our own stories. And also pirates, of course, because that's the theme. Arg, mateys! We hope you enjoyed this episode of Fit Click and that it captain hooked you in from the start. If you want to join a community of like-minded pirates, you can find us on the Oceanic Interwebs. Check us out on Twitter at FitClick. And also you can email us at fitclickpod at gmail.com and you can join our Discord server, which is linked in the pinned tweet of our Twitter. It's a really lovely community and only sometimes do we make Ficklets walk the plank. I really like how your pirate had sort of a surfer bro <laughs> vibe. Because we live in the age of the internet and not the golden age of piracy, the best way to spread the good word of FitClick is to review our podcast on whatever listening app you use that allows for reviews. You can also go to the seaside, write, listen to FitClick on a note, roll it up, put it in a bottle, toss it into the ocean. It might not like get very far, but I think it would still be a fun gesture. Or perhaps if you find yourself on a sailing vessel at any point um, in the near future or far future and would like to once again drop a note in a bottle telling people to listen to FitClick, I think that would be pretty cool and definitely the most effective way of getting new listeners to come and join us in this community. Ooh, shiver me timbers. All right, just reacting to what you said. 
<laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, another way you can support the pod is by sending us some money via Ko-Fi, whatever amount you feel comfortable with. That's ko-fi.com slash fickclick. We do not make any money from this pod. Um, all of the money just goes back into the hosting fees. That's not like, uh, that's not fees for us being hosts. It's, we have to pay Podbean to host our <laughs> podcast. Um, and we always very much appreciate if you feel so inclined to do so. If you are familiar with this podcast, you know that January is always a special month because it's back-to-back birthdays! Woohoo! Oh, I was going to say yeehaw, but that didn't feel very piratey. <laughs> Ahoy! Anchors away! Avast! We're on to Nick's birthday! <laughs> um, Nick, it's going to be your episode next that's going to be coming out on January 26th. What is your theme going to be? Aye, aye, Brenna. It will be my episode, and I won't let anyone try to hornswoggle me out of the spotlight. (laughs) (laughs) I looked up pirate lingo. I love it. Yeah, I figured that's what you were looking at. (laughs) Come with me, Ficklets, to the briny deep as I tell you about my theme. Um, So for my birthday, it has nothing to do with pirates. Um, I picked a, uh, I guess, kind of story that I really like. And we are going to be talking about fics that have open or ambiguous endings. Thank you, co-hosts, for coming with me to this ambiguous space. I'm very excited. Nick, what's the fic that you're bringing? My fic for next episode is The Blues Run the Game by AO3's Coyote Suspect. This is a post-canon fic for the movie Hustlers, and the pairing is Destiny slash Ramona. What's the fic you're bringing, Reed? The fic I am bringing is... The Place Where Cities and Starscapes Collide by Jubilus. It is for the fandom Jujutsu Kaisen. We're going there. We're doing the anime thing. It is mostly tagged for Nobura and lots of people, Yuji, Megumi, etc. Um, it is also tagged for Nobura slash Maki and background Megumi slash Yuji, but it is mostly just Nobura focused. Brenna, what is your Nick birthday fic pick? My pick for next episode is Just What I Needed 2 by Be The Change. This is a fic for the BuzzFeed Unsolved slash Watcher Entertainment RPF universe, and I'm excited to talk about it. All right, ficklets, I'm off to hide some invaluable treasure on an island so people can fight over it in like 30 years and then write a book. Bye! I scallywags. I be fixin' your ship, ye bilge rats. Bye! <laughs> Ficklets, I'm off to launch myself into space. Bye! (laughs) 